0: In the late afternoon, Willie McLean Sr. arrived home from work. He'd just gotten a job as a playground supervisor and bus driver for a Christian elementary school for African-American kids. The boys at the house were his guys. He'd started coaching most of them in 1979, when they were seven. He considered himself a surrogate dad for Myron, Damien, and J.T., who had no fathers at home. I told them what they could and could not do, plain and simple, he says. At 32 years old, McLean was pulling his own life together. The need for change had been hammered into him a few years earlier, when he'd showed up to coach a basketball game with a hangover. I was out of it, he says. The kids ended up coaching themselves. When J.T. and Eric asked him what was wrong, McLean found he didn't have a good answer. The realization hit him. You've got to get yourself together or you're going to pass on your lifestyle to your sons. He didn't want his boys or the players on his team to waste their talents like he believed he had squandered his. Church was one thing that kept him grounded. Coaching was another. McLean's team played in the local community league, formerly known as the Central Area Youth Association, but universally referred to by reciting its four initials one at a time, C-A-Y-A. The great majority of players in the league were black. The central area, a roughly four-square-mile patch of land tucked between the downtown business district to the west and the waterfront mansions on Lake Washington to the east, was the historical heart of black Seattle. Most of the African Americans in the city, blacks made up around 10% of Seattle's population of 500,000 in 1986, lived in the neighborhood or those stretching out directly south of it. Willie McLean loved basketball for the beauty and precision of the game, but youth sports invariably mixed with racial concerns. When CAYA teams played outside the league, it wasn't unusual for every opposing player to be white. McLean had sometimes given up home basketball games and driven his kids out of the Central Area to compete because coaches from the wealthy suburbs east of Seattle, across Lake Washington, wouldn't bring in their teams to play in the Central Area. McLean knew that it would be useless to appeal. His complaints would go to white league administrators who would just find a way to back up the suburban coaches. Separation between blacks and whites was nothing new for McLean. Having spent the first years of his life in Mississippi, McLean knew there were places where racism ran much hotter. But like most African Americans in Seattle, which has long prided itself as a place with smoother race relations than the rest of the country, he found himself on the periphery of the city's economy. From its beginning in November 1851, when a small group of settlers, led by a 29 year old surveyor from Illinois named Arthur Denny, sailed into Elliott Bay, Seattle has been a place where people come to pursue their passions and economic interests at a remove from the rest of America. As long as you don't mess with anyone's livelihood or raise too much fuss, Seattle, out on the wet northwestern edge of the country, will likely meet you with a tight lipped smile, a bit of small talk, and then get on with things. For its minority populations, says University of Washington historian Quinter Taylor, Seattle has long presented a paradox. While much of the city espouses liberalism, that rhetoric has been juxtaposed against the reality of discrimination. This is a place, after all, that named itself in honor of an Indian chief, even as the local tribes were being efficiently and sometimes violently removed from the land. From its inception, Seattle has ridden waves of economic boom and bust. Within weeks after trudging ashore, the Denny party got to work cutting down trees near the water and shipping the timber on boats headed for San Francisco, then surging with gold rush money. In 1852, Henry Yesler, newly arrived from Ohio, built a steam-powered sawmill, and the town, really just a logging camp on the shores of Puget Sound, was off and running.